Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with the professor, Sean Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with the Professor. Big week because probably the biggest week of the season for the Seahawks and the Los Angeles Rams in the sense that uh, you know a game coming up that could determine are the Seahawks going to be contending for the division or are they going to be uh, you know wild card? Are the Rams still in charge? And joining us on Schooled is Mina Kimes from ESPN. And, of course, Mina was doing the preseason broadcast for the Rams. You've, you're from here. You've lived here before. So you have a, a good feel, I think, for both teams. I know you've done a lot of stories on the Seahawks and all that stuff. First off, what thoughts do you have of how close these two teams are? Because the Rams for two years have had a distinct advantage and Seattle's been trying to catch up. Definitely. I think they're a lot closer than I thought coming into the season. Now, doing the preseason games, you have absolutely no idea what the Rams actually look like. Uh, you didn't see any starters play. play. It's he, like not a single one. Not right. And I did wonder maybe if they got to a slow start, whether people would question that um, approach, John. I don't personally think it's played a huge role in it, but, uh, I, you know, it is something that was a hot topic of discussion and has spread around the league. But that said, you know, coming off of last season, given the talent that they retained, given the talent that they added, um, I thought that the Rams were the clear favorite to win the division. After the first four weeks, I'm not sure that's the case. And we're setting aside the 49ers, which is a whole other variable that I didn't consider. But after these first few games, I think that the team, it's a pick in Seattle, obviously, with the home advantage going to the Seahawks. But I think that they're pretty neck and neck. Well, the one thing I know, just even what history says and all that, and particularly, you know, when things are going to be capped out now that they've got a quarterback that's making $34 million, that there's going to be a little bit of a move backwards. Not a big move, but a little bit of a move. I thought maybe what would happen is they'd go from 13 wins to 11 because, you know, with the changes on the offensive line, you know, the arthritic knee of Todd Gurley, a couple changes on defense. There'd be a little bit of a drop-off. I don't think there's been a big drop-off. I mean, heck, they're 3-1 and one and uh, still in a great position. But clearly, things aren't the same on offense. What are you seeing as far as what's going on on the offense? They're getting the yards, they're getting the points, but it's not the same. Right, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy that Jared Goff threw for over 500 yards and everyone walked away from that game thinking something is wrong. With this team, something is wrong with this quarterback who has not been very good, I think, in contrast to Russell Wilson. When we talk about these teams being neck and neck, I do think the Rams are actually better than them in the other phases of the game. I think Seattle has a distinctly better QB, and that gives them, that sort of lifts them up, I think, to being uh, even with the Rams. Uh, As far as the offense and what's gone wrong with them, you've seen teams, uh, pretty much every team so far this season, has taken the same approach that not only the Patriots did in the Super Bowl, but we also saw with the Bears, the Eagles, and really it was pioneered by the Lions, John, which is the 6 by one walking six defenders up to the line of scrimmage to counter outside zone. And this has been a problem for the Rams, not just because, yes, it's harder to get Todd Gurley going, but because it hurts Jared Goff. The entire Rams offense revolves around play action based on outside zone. Jared Goff is a distinctly better quarterback when a he's not pressured and he's pressured less, uh, you know when he's when they're using play action and, and throwing out of play action, that hasn't worked this season because of this defensive approach. And, and while guys have been open, in particular Cooper Cup and Sean McVay has done a decent job, I think of scheming against it. Jared Goff has not risen to the occasion. He's not been accurate. He's not he's not been accurate enough. He's not made plays 
to counter that move. So what kind of go through is because I, I, I was just amazed because it really started, as you said, with Detroit last year. Matt Patricia at the beginning of December yep. you know, came up with a scheme where he you know, put five, six guys near the line of scrimmage and then uh, played quarter coverage you know, with the four uh, defensive backs you know, covering the field. It gave them the ability to come up and stop the run if necessary, but also gave the ability to make the coverages that are necessary. What did you see and what did it take away with what the uh, Lions started, you know, what the Bears and uh, Eagles and then yeah. followed up with and then of course I mean basically in the Super Bowl New England basically borrowed a plan from Buddy Ryan and the old uh, 46 defense with six guys that just really penetrated and did such a great job. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing New England did in the Super Bowl I think that's important is a team that had primarily played man in coverage uh, switched to zone. They played a ton of zone during the Super Bowl. Something we saw happening during the game it was a surprise to us and it appeared to be a surprise to Jared Goff at times as well. Uh, Jared Goff statistically has been much better against man than zone. Again, a lot of that has to do with the scheme and the way McVay is able to, you know, as, as everyone knows by now, the Rams tr- under McVay have almost exclusively operated out of 11, which is they've had the three wide receivers, Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, and Robert Woods out on the field at the same time. And then he uses them a ton of different ways. They're honestly some of the best blocking wide receivers in the NFL. And he's been able to spring them open against man, using a lot of activities, a line of scrimmage, not so much the case against zone. And while, again, when I watch these Rams games, I see guys open, Jared Goff has not found them. Talk about the pressure from the offensive line standpoint, because clearly more defenses are getting to Goff and forcing him to make some mistakes yeah. in the past. And I guess that's understandable because, you know, Roger Saffold ended up getting an $11 million contract in Tennessee. You know, they didn't bring back John Sullivan. So there's two new parts on the interior of the offensive line. You know, and Andrew Whitworth, who's been, you know, arguably one of the top two or three left tackles in the league, you know, is now getting a little bit older. And I know he just got pummeled for penalties in the game against Tampa Bay. I think that's what's been so surprising, John. You know, we knew going into the season they had a new center and a new left guard. Uh, who kind of redshirted last year. You saw him play in the preseason last year. They were quite good, Joe Noteboom and Brian Al- uh, left guard Brian Allen at center. What I think we didn't expect, and what I've been surprised to see, is the struggles from Whitworth on the left side and uh, Rob Havenstein, who also has been penalized a lot, on the right side, because that was the core of this line. They were so reliable. And when Whitworth announced that he was going to come back, uh, you know, Rams fans saw that as a huge relief. But over the first few games, I think we've seen it's not just the interior that struggled at times. It's also the tackles. They are vulnerable across the line, and that's caused problems for the entire offense because Jared Goff, like most quarterbacks, but to a pretty large extent, is much worse under pressure. I'll tell you what, in fact, this goes back to a comment I got from Justin Britt about a week ago, and this is not negative as far as criticizing Andrew Whitworth. In fact, I mean, you know from interviewing him, I mean, he's probably one of my favorite guys in the league because he was my go-to guy every time I was in Cincinnati. I mean, he's one of the better talkers as far as just talking football and all that stuff. But one thing that Justin Britt brought up, which, of course, was one of the problems that the NFL created in the first three weeks of the season, is that, you know, they were trying to get, if you were just kind of grabbing the frame uh, of the and getting your hands outside the frame. They weren't giving you enough time to be able to uh, you know, get your hands right and not get the penalty for offensive holding. Well, Whitworth, I know, according to Justin Britt, is one of the guys that does that the most. And uh, you know, yeah. so they stopped calling it you know, right toward the end of week three. But yet here it was when they weren't supposed to be calling it, and Whitworth gets all the penalties. 
uh, they actually used Whitworth, too, as an example, John, in the video uh, that the NFL circulated of what not to do. And that was that was like a, a little nugget that had people concerned. And we talked about it a bit during the preseason. I, I don't know, personally, I would ascribe it to that. Um, you know, he is, what, like 37 mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, that He's in an incredible career, incredible tackle, but eventually age does come come for us all, come for us all and especially uh, NFL players. So I'm sure that has there's an element of that as well. I, I will say the Rams did draft two tackles this year, and we did see them in the preseason. Um, and, you know, they were up and down, but the rookie out of Wisconsin, uh, David Edwards, did look very good in the preseason. So he's a potential candidate to, you know, whether it's Havenstein or Ritford, get some playing time. No question. And so, uh, yeah, because that's because, again, I'm, I'm, I'm such a big supporter of Whitworth because, again, he's just been so good both as a player. And I was just amazed, you know, when the Bengals let him go and how great he played for the last two years. Oh, it's been amazing. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I let's tackle, though. I mean, look how good Dwayne Brown's been. It's really one of those positions where I think it's similarly to pass rusher. You can age and, and play at a really high level. And that's certainly what we've seen with Whitworth. No doubt. Let's talk about Todd Gurley because uh, as great and as open as Sean McVay is is talking about things, I mean, he seems to be telling everybody in denial. There's nothing wrong with Todd Gurley. Everything's fine. Todd actually got out that he has the arthritic knee, and you can see the way that they're using him. They must not think he's the same. Now, when he gets the ball, he gets the yards. He just doesn't get the ball as much. You know, it's the great mystery of this season because – it's really hard to gauge whether it's Gurley's health, whether it's their approach to load management, um, whether it's what they're seeing from defenses, which we discussed, and they don't believe Todd Gurley is useful in countering that. You're right, he has looked good as a runner. I will say he has struggled a bit this year, a lot this year, to my eye, in pass protection. And I wonder if that's limiting him as well, because they do need, the Rams traditionally do lean on him a lot for that. Um, so I, I really don't have an answer. I thought we would see more of him. I thought we would see more of the rookie Daryl Henderson, uh, but that's not been the case as well. And, and it definitely feels like the offense is still a work in progress. Yeah. One thing I know when you when you look at uh, Gurley and all that, you know, I, you, you, I, I thought when going into the season, one of the advantages Seattle had was playing on a Thursday game against the Rams at home because you figure a guy with an arthritic knee or an older player is going to struggle coming back on Thursday. I don't know how to read the fact he only had five carries, so I can't imagine that you know yeah. he's going to be as sore. I mean, at least for a Thursday night game, this has got to be as fresh as he could ever be. Yeah, I'd, I'd say more of a factor in this one is Peters obviously took a really hard hit. Uh, so coming off of that Sunday, and then also Jared Goff threw the ball, uh, by my count, approximately 8,000 times. So yeah. I can't imagine that he's feeling too great either after after that Bucks game. Uh, so we'll see if that affects him. I, I'm very curious in this game, John, just to see what Seattle's game plan is on defense, whether or not they embrace the approach taken by the rest of the league. I think they have the personnel to do it. It might be a little bit hard. With McDougal, usually you have the safety as kind of a buzzard. But I think that it's probably the best approach based on what we've seen. Well, one of, one of the things that's interesting is that they've been more creative than at any time you've seen under Pete Carroll. Because, in fact, they had one play on Sunday 
and I'm down on the sidelines on the opposing team sidelines for you know, every game. And so I'm looking over and I'm looking at Jadevian Clowney and he was lining up almost as a linebacker, a blitzing linebacker in kind of a three, four type of scheme. And it got uh, Cliff Kingsbury so confused. He had to call a timeout yeah. just to sort it out. And I just saw some stats from, uh, you know, our beloved ESPN that uh, Clowney, even though he didn't have a training camp, had 48 plays in the first game, has uh, ranks seventh as far as winning on going against pass blocking seventh in the league at 27 percent and even though he doesn't have the numbers right now he's making an impact and Ziggy Ansah who didn't do anything in week three in his 19 plays looked great against Arizona with five tackles a sack and two pressures and two hits on the quarterback so uh, you know that I think could be a big factor yeah I think this pass rush is very much a work in progress you know people Expected to Ziggy Anza to come out right away and make an impact. Obviously, he struggled with injuries for a long time now, but he's still working his way back. I wouldn't be surprised if we haven't seen the best of him. Uh, before this season, I did a podcast with KJ Wright, and we talked a little bit about this and, and the fact that the linebackers were undeniably the strengths of the team. And, and he said, look, yes, we're going to do our 4-3, but don't be surprised if Pete and – can use us in ways you they have not used us before. We've certainly seen that. You mentioned Clowney, uh, but also Kendricks as well, right, uh, has been just disrupting the quarterback a lot. So it, it, they've been – it's funny because Seattle, as the rest of the league, has gone almost exclusively to sub-packages. They've stuck with base, but – They've used their base personnel in interesting ways, and I've been impressed. Yeah, and that's what happened. I was even surprised. Even it's They were going in playing about 66% base defense with the three linebackers, and here they were going against Arizona. Now, of course, the Cardinals have the five wide receivers set. They didn't yep. have it because, again, they had five active wide receivers for the game, so they went with more four wide receiver sets. Yet, they stayed in base defense more than uh, they had all season, and you know, part of the reason is this is the best linebacking core Pete Carroll has had since coming to Seattle because Kendrick's playing like a pro bowler. Uh, you know, Bobby mm-hmm. Wagner's a potential Hall of Famer. K.J. Wright's having a great year and has been to the Pro Bowl, and so I would have to think that they're going to stay in base defense, but because Ken Norton Jr. was a guy who basically raised Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. He's given them the license to do more blitzing. Yeah, I agree. I will throw some water on our enthusiasm and point out they've played bad offenses. <laughs> so, yes, uh, yeah. you know, Arizona did roll out 10 personnel and it worked. But this, to me, again, well, the Rams offense hasn't been good, so who knows. But they, this defense has not really been tested by a high-flying offense, John. So, again, I'm very curious to see how they hold up tonight. Yeah, let's talk about uh, where it goes as far as the uh, defense for the Rams because, uh, you know, say what you want. I mean, they went to the Super Bowl, but they weren't a great defense. I mean, what, they're statistically in the 20s. I mean, it looks on the field to be better. We'll take the Tampa Bay game out of it, you know, with Clay Matthews, Eric Weddle. Uh, How would you sum up where this defense is? If you'd asked me a week ago, I would have said, great. I uh, thought that the Rams' defense, which is very talented, is a very talented secondary. Um, they're very excited. They haven't, they've gotten nothing in a way of pass rush since Robert Quinn left. It's been the Aaron Donald show, and that's about it. But finally, you saw some production from Fowler, even Matthews. Uh, a lot of them, that is, of course, them benefiting from Aaron Donald being double and triple teamed. But then the Bucks game happened, and they really laid an egg. So I think that this is a very talented defense but they definitely showed some cracks in their last outing and and 
I wouldn't be surprised. Like, so the, the Rams defense, their run defense was very bad last year. This year, they seem to be tightening up. I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle leans heavily on the run against them. Yeah. Now, because we're both neutral on this, I'm going to ask you to kind of give a big overview as a final <laughs> question. Because, you know, one of the debates in town is, oh, they need to come out passing more. And, of course, they've done it maybe in two out of four games, passing more at the beginning of the game. But, again, their philosophy is to be a running team. Would you agree with mm-hmm. me if you're going to be going with more passes on the early downs with Aaron Donald on the field you're crazy because nobody, I don't care who it is, Seattle, you name it, you can't stop Aaron Donald. You can't. I still, I got to say, I do wish they would pass more on early downs, um, assuming that they are able to block it. You're, you're absolutely right. They have to have pass protection to support it. I would like them to, on those early downs, use play action, create some run-pass conflicts, uh, and I certainly think Seattle has convinced the league that they're willing to run on early downs. So it, it's there, John. But I, and part of the reason I, I want them to do that, I want them to continue to open up the passing game, is Russell Wilson has been amazing. Okay, like this is honestly, I, I know statistically Pete mentioned this is his best start, but it's it's been supported by the eye test as well. He's looked phenomenal to me. And we give Brian Schottenheimer some grief for you know his approach, but I actually think he's done. He's called a lot of a lot of really good plays with Russell and, and, you know, intermittently throughout these games, I've been really impressed by some of the creativity and I'd like to see them to continue getting creative in this game. Mina Kimes, thanks for educating us on Schooled with a Professor. Absolutely great stuff. Thanks for having me. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with a Professor.